Welcome to the Wood, guys. The Wood Podcast is about that feeling you get in business and life where you have no fear, no doubt, you can't fail. Welcome, guys, to the Wood Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Wood Episode 7, which is actually Episode 8, but Susan Amat, uh, one of my favorite, favorite innovators, is, uh, is joining us today. And she refused to be episode eight because episode seven, seven is her lucky number. So welcome, Susan, and thank you so much for joining us here at The Wood. Thank you for having me. All right. So I'm going to start off with one of the first things uh, you discussed with me or I got from you uh, after we met and figured out who each other were. Right. Mm -hmm. We'll go back to that. Uh, You were given the Champions of Change medal 2012 mm-hmm. at the white house mm-hmm. and what did you tell me i have no idea that probably something like awards don't matter that's exactly it yeah you were like awards don't matter correct they and, don't and i thought that that was fantastic because uh you know me pretty well and if i got an award like that what do you think i would do with it you'd probably wear it all the time oh yeah absolutely yeah. around my neck yes 100 percent of the time because we're different, right? I'm in sales. You're different. You're you're a everyone's creator. Everyone's in sales. Ooh, everyone's in sales. Everyone's in sales. Right, but we were just talking about keeping that the fact that I stay inside of my box. So what is my box? You have a very multifunctional box because you're in sales, but you know the marketing world, you know the athlete world, you know communications well. And you stay within those things and you're able to communicate the value of what you do, sometimes with research and preparation, other times with charm, to convince people to give you money. And literally every single person in your team is either selling to you to keep you around or helping to sell whatever it is they need to do to keep a job, relationship, etc. Everyone is in sales at some level. I love that. I love that. Uh, Somebody had told me recently that uh, in this podcast, I should hashtag I love that because that's uh, apparently something I say a lot. That is a fantastic segue into one of my favorite Susan Amat stories. Okay. We were going to meet with X. We'll call them X because we don't want to name them. And uh, you and I were on the phone. And we were discussing, you know, the meeting and what was going to go down. And uh, at some point in the phone call, you said, Chris, make sure you're prepped. Don't just bring a pretty face. And it made me speechless because that's exactly what I was thinking of doing was just winging it, bringing some charm, bringing some enthusiasm, bringing some you know, some marketing knowledge, and that was it. I, I wasn't planning on prepping at all. I can I can say that honestly, guys. I wasn't planning on prepping for the client. Uh, I wasn't planning on prepping for anything. So, uh, my, I'm glad it worked. <laughs> I think it was one of the best lessons I ever learned from a one-sentence statement, which was just don't bring BS. Bring substance. I think that that's something that's severely lacking with, unfortunately, a majority of people right now. 
because they can skate by and I think it actually is fairly disrespectful to potential partners, clients, etc. in not bringing the best you and showing that you care enough about them to make the effort because then you can have an actual conversation. And I think it's been really easy for some people to work off of charm and passion. And I'm guilty of it too. I mean, wherever I, I was go, just about I'm to call like you out. I was passion like, person. I was like, tell me, pitch me. I was going to say, pitch me Venture Hive. And I know you could do that absolutely automatically. Yeah. yeah but I, but I'd thinking. have to know who you are so I would customize my pitch to you. Absolutely. And there are some people where I just wouldn't be able to do a proper pitch. It would have to be extremely vague. Because I don't know them, their problems, their clientele, their opportunities well enough to be able to do it justice. And so I think it's, I mean, I know that I have a lot of my success because I give a shit. But having, I love but that really you're the first one that cursed caring, on this interview. That's fantastic. But caring enough, me. caring enough to show people that you did prepare that their time is not just you showing yourself off, but listening and being able to create a dialogue because it's a two-way fit. So many people go into sales mode and they're selling instead of understanding, I need to also see if that's going to move my business forward strategically because it's not just about taking money. It's about creating value for each other at the end of the day. No, absolutely. But what it taught me was something a little bit more. Um, as, as you know, uh, in our world, we can have seven, eight, ten meetings a day, right? And you prioritize those meetings for preparation. Definitely. And I think that what it taught me was that every single meeting deserves preparation. And I was looking at those meetings and, and I was like, mm, I can get by on this one, this one, this one, this one. And, uh, and you called me out on it. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I don't think since have I not prepped for a meeting i didn't care who it was i didn't care uh if they were joe's pizza shop or if they were uh carnival cruise lines which you know we've i've done both so uh you know i loved that about it that makes me really really happy because that's the difference between people who make me excited to be in miami and the future of entrepreneurship and who's going to be the kind of bosses that actually train their employees to give a shit versus what happens here. You just get complacent and not just here, everywhere. You get complacent. It's very easy to be comfortable because you know yourself, you know your industry, and you can talk really fast and smile and give people information and stats that they may not know that may be enough. But whoever works the hardest should win. I think it's I think that's a very important part of life. If you're willing to do the work, you should win. And I and I, I want my, my kids to know that, and we live our lives that way. Let's talk about how we met. Um, okay, so here we are on the sideline of a soccer game where our kids are on the same team. And uh, Our five- and six-year-old kids <laughs> are on the same team. And um, I'm sitting there talking to you. And somehow the conversation of Venture Hive comes up and I start talking about how much and, – and guys, this is no BS. I'm not pitching And I didn't bring Venture it up. Hive. You brought she it up. She didn't bring it up. I said, I love 
this idea of Venture Hive. I love it. I love it. And there's this lady named, like, something, I couldn't get your last name right. And you were like, Susan Amat. I was like, yeah, 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 that's her. She's, oh, well, that's me. So that's, that's like. It's a true story. That was exactly how and I And it felt so fake. But I knew it was real. Oh, you thought I had it, set it, it up? No, I didn't think you had set it up, Whoa. but it felt very, I mean, it was just like a movie, like the guy who's stalking you for years. And then all of a sudden he like makes up some story to like, I know you didn't do that, but the dialogue was so ridiculously like you bring up my company, you start talking about me and my husband. You even talked about Lewis. Yeah. To me. And I'm going, is he joking? Like, in my head, thinking that this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And then... It was, it was authentic. Maybe uh, if you had now, prepped... It's not past me. I wouldn't put it past me to do something like that, by the way. Um, I wouldn't either, now yeah. that I know you. <laughs> but uh, that if one... If you had done any That homework, one was authentic. If you had done any homework and looked it up, you would have seen pictures of us. Yeah. And you would have known it was us. So. Yeah, and I had no clue. Because back then you weren't doing preparation for anything. Oh, there it is. I was waiting for her. I was waiting for her. <laughs> One of the reasons I I really uh, appreciate our uh, um, you know our business association is because you tell me how it is, right? Always. Have you ever? You've never sugarcoated it. You've never. <laughs> you tell me when I suck. You tell me when I'm doing well. But that's part of why. We don't just have a business association. We have a friendship. Right. Because I think you would be surprised by how many people don't want anyone telling them anything but how perfect they are. Oh, I love the opposite. And life is very short. And at some point, somebody is going to care enough to be honest and tell you the truth. And if you have had no idea of how you may have come off for years, it's very easy to just be in this bubble and not see reality. So I really appreciate the fact that you put up with me. <laughs> it's funny because uh, I was going to say the opposite. Um, okay, so let's get into uh, what this podcast is about, guys. Um, so everyone knows that uh, if you've watched this podcast, that uh, this podcast is called The WUG, W-U-G. Um, and it's a zone, a trans, a, a, a period of your day that you get into where you can't fail. There's no doubt. You're going to succeed no matter what. Whatever deal you're looking at, you're going to close. And I believe it lasts one to two hours. Um, I, I, I firmly believe that because I've experienced it and it's affected my life. And I'm here to find out if Susan Amat, uh, as successful as you are, um, has ever experienced that zone. You think zone. it's, it's a only one to two hour a day thing? I think for the WUG, because I got into this conversation with uh, Fernando Zulueta, uh, you know, from yeah, Academica, know and he said, uh, he said it was the zone, which was like eight to ten hours. And, and, you know, what we came to conclusion was is that perhaps the zone is when you're at work, but the wug is when you're killing it, when just no one can touch you. And maybe it's just because I'm a salesman and, and that's what I need to succeed, but do you feel like there's ever like a Susan Amat killer zone? 
So this answer is going to seem super ridiculous. Love it. So I, I like am, I'm very religious. And when you decide that you just put everything in God's hands and when something's supposed to happen, it does. And you always give 100% and you always do whatever you need to do to, you know, execute relentlessly and work harder than everyone else. I think that... um you always feel like you're in the zone. I feel, I mean, now I'm tired. I want to be with my kids, but I'm always confident in myself and I feel like I can always win. But I think when you define winning as being honest with yourself, having values, being the person you want to be, being the person you want your kids to be, working with people that you respect and admire and will be good partners for you, then you will always win. I don't know what to say to that. Oh my gosh. Is this the first time ever he's speechless on this <laughs> podcast? I'm sure. I don't know what to say to that. Um, the only thing I can say to that is... is <laughs> Another first. <sighs> is that uh, this is episode seven of eight. Um, and I've received eight, seven of eight different answers. Yes. Did not expect that one at all. I am not going to. You think I'm going to act like, well, I'm the smartest and whatever. No. No. You know what? I'm not saying I think one of the nice things that you brought up to me before we started this show is challenges. Yeah. So I found out I had ADD when I was pregnant with Dominic. So almost eight years ago. Who, by the way, is the most beautiful little boy ever. He is so wonderful. He is an angel walking the earth. Do you know what his dream is? And our kids are friends. Good friends. Of course they are because we have beautiful, lovely children. We do. I just have to like sidestep small tangent to frame Dominic. Oh, absolutely. Dominic has ADHD and, and that's part of the story I'm about to share. So Dominic wants to be an artist, engineer, inventor... But his real goal is to be a saint. Dominic, which we have not said be a saint. No. Out of nowhere, about a year ago, he decided, I want to be a saint. And we've looked into how you become a saint. And what. And I said, what are you going to be the saint of? And he decided he wants to be the saint of focus. Because as someone with ADHD and as someone with ADD, every single day you are overcoming assumptions people make of you and when you're a kid I never did homework my dad was much older than my mother and my mom worked and my dad was a retired professor from UM an entrepreneur so I literally would get picked up from school go on adventures and art museums and read no structure it was like a grandparent who was awesome was taking care of you every day after school And my younger brothers and I just were exploring and hiking. And we lived in D.C. It was fantastic. So it wasn't until I was in seventh grade that I was failing history. Because, you know, school gets serious in seventh grade. I was failing history. And this teacher calls my parents in and tells them she's going to drop out of high school. She's going to be pregnant. 
says really horrible things. And I was like, what? So I decided that day, you know what? I'll study. Because it just didn't even enter my mind until that point that I should care about grades. And I'm the same with my kids. I do not care about their grades. I care that they learn every day. I care that they're good people. So I started studying. And that horrible, horrible woman, I got A's on every test after that. I was the best. She would give me low conduct grades every day just to make sure that I would never get the A in the class. I love it. And I probably didn't do well in any of my other classes that year, but it didn't matter because all of a sudden I realized that I had actual control over my destiny, right? So then in eighth grade, I became the biggest nerd in the world because all of a sudden I realized I could have structure for myself. I could have goals, etc. Because up till then, I just had the most amazing childhood of freedom. And my father had the has the best vocabulary in the world. So... I was very articulate and was constantly reading, but just did not like the structure of school. So when I went to eighth grade, I I was telling Dominic the other night, I won like five of the seven awards at Longfellow in was it eighth grade or ninth, whatever. Yeah, ninth, because I was like junior honor society, everything. And... That's when I realized, you know, whatever you prioritize and put time into is what you're going to be good at. And you're not going to be good at everything. You're going to be good at one or two things, maybe. And I the only way to be world class all the time. is to focus on that. Camilla, who runs this podcast, Camilla, get come get in the shop. I always love to bring Camilla into the shop because she's fantastic. Uh, how many times have you heard me say I am good at one to two things and that's it? Very many times. What do you think those two things are, if I may ask? Um, well, uh, I am good at selling things. Okay. I can pretty much sell anything. Um, and then uh, the other thing, um, let's just say it's a special skill of networking to make people comfortable with me. Right? Okay. So sell sales and networking. That's it. And I and I stick to those two things. Yeah. You should. I should. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And and my girlfriend's behind the camera laughing right now. Because It's true though. Because they think there's one more thing, but it's okay. I'll tell <laughs> you, I think that that's the big challenge and and specifically with a lot of people I know, and I was just sharing this with somebody earlier. It took me several years to find a lawyer because I would ask each person who wanted to represent us a variety of questions and I know enough to know what yeah. a good answer is. Yeah, and I know and I know you know how to ask questions. <laughs> I do. And and it was crazy to me how they would always have an answer and never until I met who became my lawyer did anyone say I think this part but let's find the expert in my not always office in my in our whatever Chicago or LA or New York or whatever other office when that happened that was my lawyer I love it when people say I don't know oh absolutely and it and it, or and admit to a mistake that's I love that when this afternoon I actually did a presentation for a group of people about building cultures of innovation and it was really sad to see these are bank presidents from all over Brazil and it was so sad to see, I said, you know, the value of being able to admit you don't know something, the value of 
having people explain what they learn when Being things authentic. don't go according to plan Absolutely. and how that completely allows people to be able to come forward, trust the organization, etc. And they were just Floor. not able to, they were like, but culturally, and I was like, culturally, either you want to have a culture where people are comfortable and want to build something with you, or you're going to have a whole bunch of people that you're paying who are doing the minimum of to get a job, no. to get a paycheck. Okay, so now I have to pivot. Yeah. Because, you know, um, we should call this podcast pivoting. Uh, however, um, episode one of eight of seven. Yes. Right. Was uh, with my ex-wife. Right. I thought that was a great way to start. Oh, off. I know. She's lovely. Yes. Um, so the the question that I asked her was, how do you think having um, a, having children and having their father be a driven entrepreneur, uh, monomaniacal, uh, I focus on one thing, I'm, it's very difficult for me to, un, to unfocus on projects. How do you think that that well, you affects... you likely have ADD, you know that, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. 100%. Well, that's part of it. Well, well here's the thing. How does... How does being a driven entrepreneur like yourself, mm-hmm. um, I know you travel the world all the time. I'll text you and you're like, Too hey, much. I'm in Africa. I'm in Brazil. I'm in wherever. Well, I say a country. I don't typically say a continent, but yes. Okay. Well, see, I love that. She always just gives me like kickback. Like, no, I uh, hate it when people say Africa. There's like so many countries. Yeah, but I'm you're specific. in Africa. Go ahead. So how does being a driven woman? Oh. Woman. I said entrepreneur. You okay, said woman. That's fine. Okay. You want to talk about that? Well, I thought because you were bringing up Michelle's. No, 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 no. That, okay. That's wife number two, by the way. Oh, sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't keep two wives this for point. this guy. Two wives. Sorry. Not good at marriage. My, uh, my mistake. First wife is Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I love Taylor. Too. Um, uh, I'll ask Camilla to edit that out, but she won't. Um, so Taylor is the mother of my children. Yeah. She's wonderful. Um, I asked her uh, what she thought the effect of the children were were on, um, like the effect of me being so driven and and working like a crazy person has on the children. So I want to ask you the okay. same question because I think you balance it way better than I do. But I'd still love to know the honest yeah. answer to that. And I love that you got my wives wrong because I have too many. Yeah, ex wives. You need to have a wife and not ex-wives, but whatever. So, I did that out. That was bad. No, I meant no, it no. in a different way. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, okay, there, so... There will be no wife number three for Chris. Like, because I think three is just, you know, it's kind of a... Might be your lucky number. It, it could be. Like seven. Any way... You, like seven. Huh? Any way... <laughs> oh, we got five minutes. All right, let's do it. What does five minutes mean? Five minutes left? Mm-hmm. Oh. I want to hear this answer from you. So I think that there's a very big distinction between fathers and mothers. And yes, that might be very sexist, but I really care about making sure that they have the nurturing side of me as much as possible. So Lewis is actually around less than me it feels like sometimes because even when he's home not traveling he doesn't travel he's working late every night works on weekends 
from the second I get home from wherever I am and picking them up from school, it may, be I'm, it may mean I'm picking them up, spending a few hours with them, putting them to bed, and then working for five more hours. But I really prioritize FaceTime as much as possible. So, and I write them little notes. I mean, I'm, I'm not comparing myself I with Lewis. I'm just saying more. that I'm I couldn't agree more really with you, annoyingly, like, lovey. Nurturing, um, maternal. Yeah. My mom. I don't know how we got onto this topic, but no, I love but it. Whatever. Yeah. My mom worked all the time. As I mentioned, Mine my dad too. took care of me, yeah. of us. I had four little brothers, and my mom worked all the time. I never saw my mom. Yeah. And I'm not going to be that person. Yeah. So I travel a lot. I do whatever I can to take the kids with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I call them every day from wherever I am. Yeah. And. I email them and I do all kinds of stuff. How does that affect them? Um, I think that part of why I do what I do, and I can literally tell you, I am 100% comfortable walking away from my business and everything I do, if anything ever happened to my kids, it's not even like a thought. Because my business, my career does not define who I am. I'm gonna just be honest here. You I don't believe do me? That. No, I couldn't do that. That's okay. I know, but I'm but I I think it's it's incredible that you can. I don't care what anybody thinks of me except for my kids. I and don't my care husband. what anyone thinks of me. But I couldn't walk away from them because um I believe and and this oh god, this is gonna get me in trouble. But it's alright. Uh I believe that my kids seeing me succeed and work as hard as I can, like almost to the brink of like just absolute exhaustion, like you were saying, yes. right? I believe as a father, that's what they should see. That's the man that they should see, right? My dad, my dad, I didn't, uh, he, from 12 to 18, he worked abroad. I saw that man once every three months. He's my hero. The sacrifices that man made for our family is ridiculous. I will make those sacrifices. I'll be the bad guy. I don't care. Let me have you think about it in a different way. Okay. Let's say that my one of my kids, God forbid, got really sick. Mm Mm-hmm. It would be not even a thought to make sure that they saw the sacrifice. They my kids know I love to work. I love my business. I love my team. Fortunately, I have it set up to where I'm I'm fairly replaceable in my business right now. Right. Um, I mean, the charm isn't, but the rest of it. <laughs> and and this is a really key thing. I think what you just said, as far as your kids seeing you being the most hardworking and the most sacrificing, there are things other than your business that can show them that you're like that. And I think society has created this thing where work, again, it comes back to how you define success. My success is my kids seeing me be fulfilled, self-realized, self-actualized in whatever I decide. So if I decide I'm dropping everything to train people with ADD to do this, I'm dropping everything to like whatever it is, I just want... (laughs) This is what it comes down to. It, it, it is. And here. You let have me, to define success. Let me tell you. And I, it's going to be the first time I ever say it on camera. But you've said some things. You know, you spoke about your religion and you spoke about Dom, who I absolutely love. 
um, you know, I'm diagnosed with panic disorder, which means I panic. Yeah. You know what a panic attack looks like? I do. It's about the ugliest damn thing you ever saw. Okay. So when I found that out, basically the what they tell you to do is is get a nine to five right keep your stress level down get a nine to five whatever i said no there's fucking no way. way there's no way you my can do kids that. will not see that i will overcome it and i will beat it and i will not lose i won't lose and people say i'm too competitive and you know what i tell them i say you know what you have no idea i made dreams when i found out that i had that that these episodes i was having were was panic disorder that it had a name and I wasn't going to I wasn't going to be beat by it and I've accomplished things that I never even dreamed of and I want them to see that if they have difficulties in their life that they can accomplish things anyway I don't want I don't want any of our kids to view something they're born with as victimhood thank you if you reframe it as those challenges are why you're so awesome Thank and you. humble and honest That's and authentic. What, part of what this podcast is about. Um, it's about uh, I was able to recognize a and, and it doesn't mean that everybody has it, but I was able to recognize a zone that I could get in to where I could accomplish things very quickly. And and I was and I was confident and I, and I wasn't thinking about panic and I wasn't thinking about nervousness. And that's how I was able to overcome it. And I, the fact that I've been able to share that with people has been phenomenal for me. And I love this project. Susan, wow. Like, you absolutely, as, as exhausted as I'm sure you are, thank you for not canceling on me because I think I threatened you like, like you. You didn't have to. I don't cancel. I know. I know you don't. Well, I just want to thank you for episode seven of eight. And, uh... We're here at the Biltmore, and I just am so excited and thrilled that that I got this opportunity because uh, you awestruck. Absolutely. That's very sweet. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and uh, episode eight of nine will be coming up next. Thanks, guys.